Hello, hello, and welcome to the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, how are you doing today? So well, Kale, so well. Love talking football. It's Wednesday. It's kind of misty outside where I am. Warm fall day, though, getting out and doing stuff after work. Always a pleasure, but let's get down to football business first. Mist is an understatement. There is a cloud of fog rolling off of Manhasset Bay. Great aesthetic, but of course, we got to dive into some football news. Starting off, we're headed in Indianapolis. Matty Ice, full-on meltdown. Officially benched for Sam Ellinger, and despite the fact that he sustained a grade to a grade to shoulder sprain. Head coach Frank Reich said this would have been the decision all along. Jackson, end of the road for Matty Ice. Tough to see. I know, right? It's it, it feels weird to say two weeks after this guy led a fourteen point comeback and threw a game winning touchdown with thirty seconds left, he's benched, but. It's hard to argue with when you look at the season-long stats. Let's dive into some of those really quick. Uh, Negative 188 DR, uh, that's 33rd in the league. Negative 20.5% DVOA, also 33%. Uh, This is a fun one for me, Kale. Uh, He's 10th in completion percentage over expected, but he's only 29th in EPA per play. I like to call that the wet noodle special. You can throw completions, but not down the field. Uh, So, And overall, the Colts offense – dead last in DVOA. So there's no way you can't go up from here. Sam Ellinger maybe puts that to the test, but I think this is just a case of we cannot possibly keep doing not only what we've been doing for this year, but what we've been doing for the past five years since Andrew Luck retired. Yeah, (laughs) the cooked pasta special, the wet noodles, a good one. (laughs) Uh, The decision comes uh, after a uh, sit-down between uh, Reich uh, general manager Chris Ballard and owner Jim Ursay, which according to ESPN Stephen Holder, uh, has been increasingly involved behind the scenes recently, which has been interesting. Uh, when introducing the decision, uh, Reich pointed out that you know, outside of it being uh, extremely difficult and this was the right move to make at the time, uh, Reich's been particularly impressed with Sam this year in practice. Quote. Uh, and pointing to the, quote, special sauce Ellinger adds as an offensive playmaker. Uh, one of the big things, Jackson, we don't have many uh, projections at FO with Ellinger in at quarterback. Uh, but we do know in college, that was a bit of a runner. Uh, what do you think Ellinger kind of brings to this offense as a, you know, six-round year-two guy who's had some time to learn the system, adds a little bit with his legs, but, you know, might need a little bit of help coming into this year. I think it all depends. I mean, we talk about the running ability. That's going to be there some weeks, not there others. It's it's just as dependent on the defense he's facing than it is on his own legs. I think it all comes down to accuracy and being able to actually push the ball downfield for Ellinger. Because we've seen some quarterbacks, some that are breaking into the league now, some that are on their way out, like Matt Ryan, who just can't push the ball down the field. 
the NFL is so unlike college in a sense that if a guy is open by a half a yard, he's wide open and you have to be able to put it in that tight window. And most guys who are good in college can't do that. It's a really NFL quarterback is maybe the toughest job in sports. It's, it's really, really difficult to excel. So has Sam Ellinger kind of upped his accuracy since his Texas days? Maybe so. I mean, for anyone who watched him at Texas, you would know like that he was a six rounder for a reason. There was some obvious talent there, but it wasn't like he was a slam dunk quarterback prospect. So has he improved that much in two years? I really don't know, but I guess it's time to find out. I'm excited to see it, honestly. Uh, just mobility as a whole seems to be a bit of an increasing factor. And, you know, look at a team like the New York Giants. You don't have a fantastic passer in Daniel Jones, but he's been able to make up with it with his legs. Uh, it's been pretty impressive what he's been able to do on the offensive end, and that includes, you know, missing two, three offensive starters at the receiver position. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, can this move in some way reinvigorate the guys on that offense who are actually supposed to be your blue chippers? Jonathan Taylor just isn't himself this year. Neither is the offensive line led by Quentin Nelson, who you gave a bag in the offseason. So I don't know if there's any way this reinvigorates those guys, but that's the real story is can the Colts get back to being what the best version of the Colts offense is at that, you know, 2020-21 seasons? Well, the AFC South is within grasp and feels like a move for a team that a lot of people had favored coming into the year uh, <laughs> to kind of take a hold of something and try and, you know, get back on track and win a very winnable division. But, hey, Jackson, at least we can say that the Indianapolis Colts have made a decision to quarterback. We head up to New England head coach Bill Belichick has yet to name a starter for week eight against the New York Jets on the road. Uh, you saw a little bit of both on Monday night against the Chicago Bears. Mac Jones led two three and outs before Bailey Zappi entered the game, uh, which, you know, you run a little bit of leak, you run a little bit more play action, all of a sudden things get open. Uh, that lasted about two drives, two touchdown drives admittedly, but, you know, Zappy fever was quelled, turned back into a pumpkin. Bears end up winning big. And then Belichick basically says Monday night that was never, Jones was never supposed to play the entire game, but was too early on naming a starter, saying the game just ended. It's Wednesday, and he's still yet to do it, Jackson. Nope. <laughs> I don't care about the idea that Mac was never supposed to play the whole game in the first place. The fact that you pulled him just three drives in and right after he threw an interception says a lot more. The fans in Gillette Stadium turning on Mac Jones, chanting for Bailey Zappi, that is not something I think you ever forget as a quarterback. The decision from an optics perspective looks even worse when uh, kind of Video evidence comes out on Twitter throughout the week that Jones's interception actually hit the Skycam wire uh, that was hanging over the field that ESPN puts up. Uh, the rules do dictate that if that is to happen, regardless of whether or not the ball's path gets impacted greatly or not, uh, which we could debate whether it did, it's very hard to tell, uh, that's supposed to be a dead ball. So the interception should have been nullified. 
uh, and the drive continues. Maybe Jones still throws a pick. Maybe he still goes three and out. But from an optics perspective, that looks really bad. And it's your it's your first round quarterback from just a year ago. You're destroying his confidence. In effect, I mean, props to Mac Jones for kind of how composed he was in the press conference afterwards. And I don't necessarily think this is the end for him, but it's really tough to come back from when you get benched for a fourth rounder in just your second year with the team. ESPN PR on Twitter did release a statement uh, saying that the pass did not hit ESPN Sky Camp and that the video replay creates a false impression, but the Sky Camp wire is more than 15 feet above the ball. Uh, the Zabruder film uh, in Hyper Slowdown shows that the uh, trajectory of the ball was impacted. Uh, but again, a small moment in an otherwise uh, generally poor night for Jones. But it was six throws, right? So, I mean, you can – Yeah. There's there's other quarterbacks who have started three for six for 13 yards that have turned it around within the game. Not saying he would have, but it could have happened. Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, the, inter- the interception just being the nail in the coffin is a tough one. It looked like across the board uh, was just a real rough night for the Patriots outside of some – uh, pretty big explosives in those two drives with Zappy. And as Dem McCourty said in the press conference, uh, when the defense lets up 33 points, it really doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Also true. They'll be playing the New York Jets next week, Jackson, who have just made a big switch up at the running back position. Brees Hall goes down with a torn ACL in Denver in week seven. Pretty much the same day that we found out the full results of the injury on Monday, Jets make a big play for Jacksonville running back James Robinson. Robinson currently 340 rushing yards on the year in 2020, set the record among undrafted rookie running backs for most yards in a season. 2021 finished sixth in DYAR and 7th in DVOA, if I have that correct. It'll be tough to replace who someone who looked like the odds-on favorite for Rookie of the Year, Jackson. But about as good of a substitution as you can make at the position, I think. It's, you know, it's the best you were going to get in the trade market, that's for sure, because a team that is in any sort of contention right now or a team that has just one quality running back on their roster, like even the Houston Texans, they're not trading Damian Pierce right now. So Brees Hall, really impossible, I think, to replace. I I was saying for a couple weeks before he got hurt, in my mind, Brees Hall was encroaching on best running back in the NFL territory just in terms of how fast he was, the impact he had both in the passing and the running game, cuts really hard, strong. Like there's other guys that are up there with him for sure, other guys who have done it for longer. But at his peak, he was pretty much as good as it gets. There's a reason that the Jets drafted him in the second round despite all the other holes they had in their roster coming into the year. So this is just a huge bummer. From Robinson's perspective, it's been a pretty bad year so far, just this year alone. Uh, 340 rushing yards on just a 4.2 average. You can maybe blame some of that on Jacksonville's O-line, but he's deep in the negatives in both DVOA and DYAR. 
uh, when he did finish, as you said, in the top 10 of both last year. Interesting thing about this trade is uh, it's for a sixth rounder, but it becomes a fifth rounder if Robinson rushes for just 260 more yards this year. So you can envision a world where the Jets season kind of goes awry a little bit, but they still end up giving up their fifth rounder to the Jags. It could be a bit of a story. Who knows? Uh, but overall, even if it's, even if this is like an effective stopgap, this is just such a bummer to me because I really think Brees Hall is quite special. Yeah. Hall finished up sixth in DYAR and fifth in DVOA headed into this week. DVOA numbers for Brees Hall were some of the best among rookie running backs all time in the DVOA era and the best since J.K. Dobbins in 2020. I and just to add to that, I mean, he was coming into a situation where he wasn't guaranteed to be the lead back. And for the first two weeks, it was pretty split. And by the time he got hurt, he really was the lead back. So you can really see a world where he finishes top three, top two in those DVOA type numbers by the end of the season, which would have really been historic for a rookie. Well, that's more of an efficiency number. And it would have been interesting to see if he actually rushed better. The offensive line's a little bit banged up there. We will get into that eventually. But do want to add that there's been two trades for running backs in this, uh, you know, current NFL climate over the last two weeks, and I'd rather have a uh, a swap of a day three pick, no matter how high it gets upgraded, than trading the equivalent by Fit Spielberger metrics uh, to the number four overall draft pick in this year's draft for Christian McCaffrey. Moving on to Kansas City, Frank Clark suspended for two games. Uh, for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. Clark was pulled over in March 2021 in Los Angeles uh, for not having a license plate on his car. Uh, Cops confiscated two weapons, including an Uzi. Uh, Ends up being arrested in June of 2021 for two counts of felony possession of an assault rifle in September, pled guilty to two counts of misdemeanor possession of an assault rifle. Uh, he was sentenced to one year probation and uh, 40 hours of community service. Out until week 10, Jackson, pretty big impact for Steve Spagnuolo and the Kansas City Chiefs defense. I just want to ask, like, what is going on with these Kansas City suspensions? Why is this the second time this year that they've had an impact defender get suspended? And not say, I mean, if you do something bad, you should absolutely be suspended. But it's the second time that it's happened well after the actual event that occurred and the legal process that played out. And... I didn't like do full historical research, but it feels weird to me that it's happened twice to the same team well after the fact. So if, if Frank Clark and Willie Gay Jr. were both going to be suspended, you know, two games and four games each, why is it that one of them was suspended from weeks three to six and the other one was suspended from weeks eight to 10 when we knew going into the season exactly what they had done? It feels like the NFL dragging their feet big time on the legal process. And I'm a little, I'm a little confused by that. You know, point out the legal process all you want. The NFL does have 
uh, independent investigative processes. Spoke out about Alvin Kamara's case last week, uh, where, you know, civil suit is underway. Uh, there's video footage of the incident. And Alvin Kamara is still playing, you know, called a larger issue with the league. But you know, Devontae Adams, kind of the same thing. It's obviously a much more minor case than the Alvin Kamara one, but he's still playing. He's in an active court process. Hey, at least there's some kind of consistency there, Jackson. I guess so. weird consistency, but consistency nonetheless. Clark currently ranks third among Chiefs defensive linemen in snaps. He's got 23 pressures and three sacks on the year, according to Sports Info Solutions. Has played a bit better of late, not quite up to the contract that he has signed, but pretty solid effort from the player this year. The Chiefs are on a bye this week, so he will not be eligible to return until after week 10. Speaking of contracts and moving into contract news, Aaron Donald has announced he's leaving Donda Sports. Released a statement along with his wife, Erica, uh, has cited the recent string of anti-Semitic comments made by head of Donda Sports, Kanye West, uh, who has already been dropped by a number of organizations, including Adidas, Gap, Balenciaga, as well as his current agency, CAA. Big news in the agency world, Jackson. Aaron Donald joins Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics as two of the most prominent athletes to drop their affiliation with Donda Sports. Yeah, I mean, look, this is not one of the more on-field stories that we're going to tackle, but it's a story because Aaron Donald, A, you know, one of the biggest names in the game, and two, you're making a statement if you're not making a statement here. These are comments that go well beyond just the white lines of a football field. These are things that uh, impact people in their day-to-day lives. Uh, You saw that people on the 405 in Los Angeles were holding up signs that were extremely anti-Semitic and at least purportedly uh, motivated by Kanye's comments. Uh, And it's just the type of thing where if you're Aaron Donald, you absolutely have to, you know, your, your silence speaks as much as your actual statement does. So, um this was obvious i mean i think it was the right move obviously uh and to address you know other people who are you know either antonio brown who's the president of donda sports saying he's staying on uh or des bryant today tweeting out that uh you know why do people why does freedom of speech only apply to some people i mean this is not a freedom of speech issue uh first of all the government is not doing anything here these are private companies who have every right to uh, make moves based on Uh, The words that come out of somebody's mouth has nothing to do with the Constitution, First Amendment, any of that stuff. Uh, And it's just like this is this is real world stuff. This impacts people at a very uh, emotional and, you know, personal level that can escalate to violence if some people uh, are motivated by comments that uh, an artist makes. So had to address it. And in Aaron Donald's case, uh, either had to move on or tacitly support the comments. Donna Sports represented Donald this past offseason when he negotiated the contract to become the highest-paid non-quarterback in NFL history. Moving over to foggy old London town, Nathaniel Hackett is apparently coaching for his job. 
in this week's London game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. According to a report from ESPN's Dan Graziano, reported that there's currently chattered NFL circles that Hackett's job could be on the line pending Sunday's result in London against the Jaguars. Should be noted that Russell Wilson is available potentially for this game and is trending toward playing and was reportedly stretching and working out four of the eight hours of Denver's flight over to London uh, where he was apparently doing high knees in the aisle. Jackson, <laughs> things are looking dire in Denver. Hackett might be at the end of this rope. Do you think he holds on here? I mean, if if they're not at the end of their rope with Hackett, I mean, who on that roster isn't at the end of their rope with Russell Wilson at this point? I mean, reportedly the entire rest of the team was sleeping. While Russ was just in the aisle, banging up and down on the floorboards. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, at some point, the I work out more hours than there are in a week stories have to stop with with Wilson. Uh, And regardless of whether or not Hackett gets fired, this team is all about Wilson and the Wilson contract right now. I mean, Hackett has been a horrible game manager. The Bucs currently 29th in total offensive DVOA. Uh, one of those situations where the sum of the parts is worse than the whole because they're 26th in both passing and rushing DVOA. Somehow that all comes out in the computer to be 29th. They're really bad on offense. Russell Wilson is the entire identity of this offense. When you pay somebody $250 million, there's no, no way around that. They're going to be tied to the identity of this offense. You can put Hackett on the line all you want, but it comes down to Russell Wilson, and so far this season, that has been a major failure. I Honestly, the biggest failure to me has just been the fact that this offense as a whole has really let down one of the more prolific defenses in the NFL. You know, third in defensive DVOA. Third? in points allowed per game at 16.4, but last in the league at points scored per game. When your defense is averaging allowing 16.4 points per game and you're barely putting up two touchdowns, you know, some kind of change is needed. I think Russ has been absolved ever so slightly by Brett Rippon, who did not fare much better (laughs) against a New York Jets defense at home? Nope. <sighs> Listen, I – at least Russ is trying, I guess. I don't know. This is the same guy that rehabbed his finger for 20 hours a week and was taking uh, ghost huddles in pregame just to get, you know, back into playing shape. But, hey, he's not the guy – he's the guy you paid five years and – over, I think, $180 million. Hackett, relatively expendable, and you can tell his DC's doing a pretty good job right now. So, I mean, writing's on the wall at some point because if, unless they have a historic turnaround, I can't imagine that Hackett's long for Denver. Yeah, and 
It was. It was five years, $245 million. Like, let's not lowball it here. That is the second highest annual value and the second highest total value of a quarterback contract in league history. That is a major, major investment into somebody. And if they turn out to be not just like not what you crack them up to be, but actively one of the worst quarterbacks around the league, uh, which so far by pretty much any measure, whether it's efficiency or just uh, compilation stats based, he has been, uh, then that is one of the biggest botched trades and contract extensions in the history of the sport. So it's a, uh, it's a story that, I mean, I get uh, CCX three in our, in our YouTube comment section saying, you know, it's exhausting hearing about Russ and I, I hear you, but like, this is huge stuff. This is, this is historically uh, a failure. If this doesn't pan out. Uh, and so far it's not only not panned out, it's, done the opposite on a level maybe never before seen in the sport. Yeah, correction to what I said earlier, I was not referring to Russell Wilson's contract. I was referring to the fact that the Denver Broncos have guaranteed Russell Wilson $165 million. A lot of money. Now, Jackson, exciting. Our first ever FO News Show follow-up. Let's go. Oh, and also our favorite topic, stadium news. <laughs> we got... A first look at the rendering of the Tennessee Titans' new stadium, courtesy of the team's Twitter account. Jackson, it's something. It is. <laughs> you got a nice upper level, which looks like it's plucked out of, like, White Lotus, like a nice, like, vacation resort veranda. Uh, there's a what looks like a 80-foot jumbotron uh, grilling people as they walk by an upper-level walkway. Uh, two of the exact same Jumbotron screens uh, bifurcated down the middle, uh, sitting in a inside the stadium with a lot of big LED wraparounds. A sight to behold for $2.1 billion, Jackson. I mean... We, I feel like we nailed this story last week. <laughs> I really do. I feel like we said, like, how is this necessary? You want to host the college football playoff? You want to host big concerts? Does it have to be, you know, something out of Candyland? This is, this is nuts. Um, props, I will say, props for the renderings showing Derrick Henry's stiff arm on Josh Norman uh, yeah, on so the Jumbotrons. Nice touch. Like that a lot. Uh I mean, come on. Like we talk about like how much public money gets dumped into these stadiums and how much the taxpayers are on the hook for the whole thing. Do we need this gigantic veranda with, you know, just think about how many umbrellas there are up there. How much does each umbrella cost? Like, why do we need all this? Like it, it's just become a competition kicked off by, you know, the SoFi and Allegiant stadiums to where now everyone needs the new shiniest toys. It's just it's over the top at this point. It is pretty impressive. Uh, just <laughs> the eccentricity of it all, like just the pure spectacle of the building. I mean, the city itself has already proven they can host, you know, stuff like the NFL draft, uh, which relative success outside of ruining a couple of bachelorette parties. Uh, you know, basically, off in New York, there, it, you know, 
New York Islanders just built UBS Arena. Complete different scale, but they do have, you know, stuff like these amenities, like, you know, the restaurant outside, like the second level bar with ceiling to floor glass windows that overlooks, you know, Belmont Park. This is this is a spectacle on a different level. This is, you know, I'm I'm so taken by the massive, massive, you know. I I wish I wish I knew the dimensions of that screen on the outside. Uh just just gaudy. Uh I I suppose it allows, you know, people to walk around. It probably draws in some non-Tennessee Titans fans just to at least check it out from a spectacle perspective. But man, this I can't get over this. Did we uh, did we even break down the the underside of the translucent retractable roof, Kale? Is I mean, how much is that costing? Is no. that going to be a total and complete disaster? Jackson, I just noticed that. Yeah, it's translucent, Kale. It's not white. It's not clear. It's like right down the middle lane, and I somehow feel like there's going to be lots of stories about how opposing kickers, opposing punt returners look up into that thing, and they're like, what? The Nashville stage, too, up top, where it looks like you just have a constant place for, like, a band to play. It, it <laughs> I mean, this is excess. This is a beautiful excess, mind you, because it looks <laughs> it looks nuts, but excess at its finest here. I will listen. I don't know if it's gotten official approval from the, uh, you know, Metro board as we had discussed. But if it does, I mean, they've certainly made themselves a destination. That's for sure. They've done their job. One last note on it. It's, uh, I I believe they said uh, capacity expected to be in the 65,000 range, less than Nissan Stadium. So you're you're sacrificing uh, quantity for quality here. Uh, You're actually going to be able to pack less people in uh, for a hypothetical Super Bowl college football playoff game than you would the old place. No way. That it's yeah. less people. That's insane. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't even know that's okay. Jackson, a very useful nugget nugget to close that out. That's bad. That's <laughs> really bad. Oh my god! Guess they're gonna be spending. They're expecting the customer to spend a lot more money when there's a gigantic restaurant and potentially a mid-game concert going on at every event. Why can't we do the why can't we do the Falcons route? Where they redo the whole stadium and then we have legitimately affordable concessions. I don't know. And a Chick-fil-A? Let's, and a Chick-fil-A in a stadium where they only play on Sundays, Kale? Do we think about that? Hey, it's it's open when they host the uh college football championship on Monday nights, and that's about the only time it's open. Let's we can't talk more stadiums. We can't spend more time on this. Moving on to the injury roundup section of the FO News. So let's start out in Los Angeles, in SoFi Stadium. J.C. Jackson, season over. Ruptured patellar tendon in addition to a dislocated kneecap. Tough loss for the guy that you signed to a five-year, $82 million contract this offseason, Jackson. He had briefly missed time for an elective surgery. 
he had done to on his foot to fix something he was born with uh, that was non-invasive but would have relieved pain, not quite up to the standards you would have expected a five-year, $82.5 million quarterback to play at. But now we're kicking that down to 2023, Jackson. Yeah, this is a this is a sad one because uh, we both love J.C. Jackson. First off, uh, and we we thought that the Chargers were kind of hitting home runs this off season with uh, the signings they were making on the defensive side. And I think I think it's we we talk. I mean, one of our episode titles was like, "Are the Chargers cursed?" Uh, it it just keeps looking that way. Uh, J.C. Jackson not only playing a much worse season than we were used to uh, dealing with nagging foot injury issues that previously hadn't surfaced since he was in the NFL, but apparently had been something he was dealing with just genetically. Uh, and now, and, and the weird thing about all this is even with, you know, kind of the, the bad season JC was having in terms of, you know, 73% completion percentage allowed 16 yards a target. The Chargers defense's real problem is the run defense, Kale. Like they've been they've been stopping the pass at an okay rate, uh, 13th in pass DVOA. They're just getting run all over, 25th in rushing DVOA, allowing the most fantasy points a game to running backs. It's it's been a real struggle on that end of things. So um, you know, we could talk about like, was the JC Jackson signing actually good? Uh, so far, it obviously hasn't panned out, but the the struggles on their defensive side of the ball go beyond just losing J.C. Jackson at this point. Oh, certainly, you know, compared to the additions that they've made this offseason, whether it be uh, Khalil Mack, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, J.C. Jackson, not the defense you would have hoped to live up to something like this. Also, as CCX points out, Rundy feels pretty significantly tied to the absence of Mr. Bosa, Joey Bosa. I always screw the Bosa. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for getting it right that time. I I was just going to not try the first name and see (laughs) if I got away with it. But let's move on to Detroit. No concussion for Amon Ross St. Brown. He is currently trending towards playing uh Campbell also dropped a note in uh that rookie running uh rookie running back rookie wide receiver Jamison Williams uh is not expected to play for at least another month because he has not practiced once yet trending toward a December comeback but let's focus on the sun god here Jackson certainly a big piece of this Detroit offense Tough absence for him. Still remains in head injury protocol, Jackson. But someone Detroit certainly needs in their offense going forward. Yeah, and this is the first case of kind of the new concussion protocol. The um, Anyone who exhibits gross motor uh, instability, um, also called kind of ataxia is the technical medical term they use. Uh, anyone who exhibits that. Uh, is removed from the game if team doctors spot it, which they did in Amon Ra's case this past Sunday. Uh, later tests were reported to have not shown uh, an actual concussion, whether or not they're using, I don't know, the actual concussion test that we all took in 10th grade, I'm not sure. Uh, but there's certainly a process there that I, I trust to be thorough enough. 
Uh, so this is this is good news. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously a white hot start to the year uh, since that sprained ankle that he suffered in week three. Uh, has just 22 yards on five catches in his last two games, uh, limited by the ankle against New England, had the bye week, and then comes back and gets hurt on his one catch against uh, Dallas. So you hope that he can get his season back on track, and and with it, the, the Lions offense can get back on track because six points in their last two games is pretty far removed uh, from the top of the league pace they were on uh, through their first four. Uh, and sitting at one and five, any any sign of good progress, any any health, any offensive uh, production that the Lions can get, all is good news at this stage. They were somehow my pick in the FO staff pick for the one, uh, two and four or worst team that will come back and make the playoffs. Hey, Ken, we've got a smart audience. Let me tell you, they to their credit, they were. They're giving you some pretty good guff about that. Uh, and, and through one week, they appear to have a point. Hey, weirder things have happened. Moving <laughs> on to the New York Giants. Tight end Daniel Bellinger suffers a fractured eye socket. I linked it in the uh, injury roundup, the injury aftermath that comes out every Monday in the comments. Uh Took a shot to the eye on a tackle as he was going down. I think it, it wasn't dirty. It was supposed to be a wrap-up of a tackle that just goes straight through the open box of the face mask. Takes a full hand to the face. It will require surgery to fix. It will be unclear whether he plays the rest of the season. A tough spot, Jackson, for a guy who had really emerged as a pretty big producer in the Giants' offense over the course of the last few weeks. It hurts. It really does because this is this is a freak accident. This is not a football injury in any typical sense of the word, uh, and the rest of him is fine. But if you can't see – uh, and if your your face is <laughs> is in too much pain to put a helmet on, then you can't play. Uh, so this this really stinks. Um, obviously, just like get get Daniel Bellinger healthy first, and then worry about um, you know the the implications of him being back on the field. Uh, again, like you said, was trending upwards. Uh, ended up 16 catches on just 18 total targets this season for 152 yards. He had two touchdowns, including one uh, in the Ravens win. So this is this is this one hurts, uh, and the Giants amazingly six and one without a single pass catcher with over two hundred yards this season. Bellinger was about to get there, and now he doesn't, and they're still looking for, you know, supporting pieces in the pass game. It's it's a really tough spot to be, and just all credit to them for how well they've worked around it so far. Bellinger actually led the team in total targets in Week Six. Uh, just a just a tough way to end the season. Speaking of which, someone whose season is confirmed over, uh, not to make light of it, Dallas Cowboys lose cornerback Jordan Lewis to a Lisfranc fracture. Uh, it happened immediately after he got his only interception for the year against the Detroit Lions, ran off the field, came up funny. Again. I guess I guess not a better way to go out with a interception 
your only one of the year. That a tough loss for a Cowboys team that was leading the league in defensive pass DVOA Jackson, the fifth highest quarter or fifth highest defensive back on the Cowboys in total snap counts. Yeah, I mean, you obviously look at that and see, oh, not a starter, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, nickel packages are a thing, first of all. And uh, Jordan Lewis, been a productive player this year. Part of that defensive identity, that secondary that's, you know, kind of anchored by Trevon Diggs, who really is kind of living up to his all-pro billing this year. Uh, Anytime you lose one piece, there's, you know, other guys that are going to need to step up around him. I feel like this Cowboys defense has enough of an identity, has leaders at pretty much every position that can, uh, you know, kind of weather the storm and and keep up their overall production. But certainly very tough for Jordan Lewis. And and anytime you lose somebody, it's obviously something that you have to work around and find, uh, you know, replacements, somebody to take those snaps. And and you just hope they can. (sighs) Tough, tough way for this Cowboys team to go out on the defensive end, whatever. (laughs) Jackson, speaking of a team that has really lost a lot of uh, just upward momentum and important, impactful personnel, we've already mentioned Brees Hall going down for the New York Jets. They lose another player for the rest of the season. Second-year guard Elijah Vera Tucker out for the season with a torn tricep. In addition, wide receiver Corey Davis sprains his MCL while not placed on injured reserve. Definitely out for at least next week and definitely out for the short term. This also comes after Robert Sala says he does not know if Elijah Moore still wants a trade request. Uh, <laughs> Moore did not fly with the team to Denver. He's week. <laughs> Jackson, the five and two Jets beginning to drop like flies. This is the fourth Jets offensive lineman to hit the IR this season, and they've been a bit of a revolving door across the board on the offensive line. Jets fans kind of can't have nice things. It's sort of been the historical trend of the past decade, decade and a half or so. This one hurts. Corey Davis being out makes the Elijah Moore picture even weirder and more complicated. And obviously anytime you lose a starter on the offensive line, it just disrupts everything that you have become accustomed to doing when you have to make switches that that line is, you know, consistency is just as key as the actual talent of the athletes that are on the line. So that, that hurts. Uh, And like, what did Elijah Moore say within the past week to make Robert Sala think that he doesn't still want to trade? It it seems pretty clear to me that he's made his stance clear. And now that Corey Davis is gone, that makes the situation even stranger because you'd think he would become a bigger part of this offense without, a key target involved, and he's just not around right now. I mean, it's maybe it's opening up a new opportunity for uh, Elijah Moore to get catches. Uh, this is also, again, a team that's really functioning with just Garrett Wilson and Denzel Mims 
Uh, I, I suppose Denzel Mims. Mims had his first catch uh, since week 12 of 2021 last week. Uh, tough, tough losses across the board. Don't Four short th- them Braxton Berrios, though. I, I did short them Braxton Berrios, who has been uh, a pretty special, special teams talent, as well as a quality slot receiver. Moving on to Cleveland. Starting linebacker Jordan Phillips likely done for the season with a torn pectoral. Was eight snaps shy of leading the team in snaps across the first seven games. Jackson had two sacks and a forced fumble this season already. Just a defense that's been really banged up across the board. No Jadevian Cloudy, Miles Garrett has missed stretches. No Denzel Ward. Real banged up season for the Cleveland Browns on D. Yep. Uh, definitely instant correction here. This is, of course, Jacob Phillips, not Bill's defensive tackle. Jordan Phillips. Uh, oh, my guy, correct. Kale. Uh, no, that's gotta... necessary. You probably should have jumped in earlier. <laughs> got to get that right. Uh, Jacob Phillips, of course, uh, a little bit smaller than his uh, similar name counterpart. You know, not Cleveland defense struggling in many ways. Um, definitely a um a piece that's not like it's not like a miles garrett you're not losing somebody who's anchoring your defense but it's it's almost one of those things where like yeah there it's a bad defense does it really hurt yes it does because regardless of uh whether or not the defense has been performing well it's it's up to the guys who are in the building to fix that and if he wasn't one of the most talented guys in the building he wouldn't have been playing so even if the numbers, the two sacks and the one force fumble don't jump off the screen at you, he's somebody who Cleveland had entrusted to be a big part of their defense and now missing him, it's just going to make it even harder for them to turn that unit around. Moving on to San Francisco to close out the injury roundup. Just when this team was starting to get healthy and getting a lot of players back, they lose another. Kyle Juszczyk to miss Sunday's game against the Rams had finger surgery on monday and while it's not to be uh an expected long-term injury jackson just another injury piling up for the 49ers man uh yeah i mean it's it's a game where you want all hands on deck because it is obviously a division game not just a division game but uh going into the season you would have said the rams were the niners biggest competition in the nfc west Seattle being good wasn't a wrinkle that you had thrown into that plan, obviously. But I use check is the ultimate, like the stats don't fully reflect just how important to the offense he is. He gives them so much versatility, so much extra blocking strength on short down situations, uh, a real weapon in the passing game, which he's really, I mean, let's be honest, he's kind of the only fullback in the game who has that much passing game capability. So Hopefully he's only out for just this one game uh, for the Niners sake, but man, they just can't catch a break. Can they? They They're up there with the chargers for one of the most injury cursed teams in the league. Uh, It's, you know, consistently missing guys and Hey, having Christian McCaffrey back in the fold will certainly help things, but also recognize that use is just a heart and soul guy for the Niners. Absolutely. Before we jump into Thursday night football news, our second favorite topic outside of stadium news, Jackson, it's uniform news. 
Jets, despite could just losing starters left and right, are debuting black helmets against the New England Patriots on Sunday. So there's something to look forward to for Jets fans this week. Fourth team in the NFL to wear their new black helmets this season and the eighth overall to wear an alternate helmet color. What are your thoughts on these, Jackson? I have made my thoughts clear, both on this show and other platforms, that the rush to black helmets is not something that I am generally a fan of. That being said, the Jets are one of the less offensive slash it works more for them, I think, than others, especially because they already had that all-black uniform uh, in years past. Didn't love that uniform, but, you know, it can work in certain situations and it kind of needs a black helmet to complete the look. So I'm cool with it. It's definitely better than the Cardinals black helmets. I like it a lot better than the Saints black helmets, so it's fine. Uh, And also note uh, that Mike Parsons apparently wants the Cowboys to go all black. Uh, So quick thought exercise here, Kale. Uh, Which team in your mind should go all black uh, that hasn't done it so far? Which team that should? That's tough. Uh, I don't know if the Panthers have done all black, and I think Mm. uh, their unique color palette would offer some good accent to it. I was trying to think of the teams that should least go all black. I I think with Miami's... Miami, I I don't mind their LA Midnight's one where they go. I think they've got some sort of, you know, alternate all black with some pipe. Oh, no, it's a deep navy. Never mind. Uh, but even then, I still wouldn't mind it. I think the team that would be worse for is Miami, whose uh, who's Hard Rock Stadium strategy of baking the away bench alive uh, by a difference of like 30 degrees. Uh, no matter what, I think that would actually lead to a health hazard uh, if they wore them at home. Uh, they're up there, and there are enough teams that just don't have black in their uniforms where no one should really try it. I kind of sneaky of those teams that have no black in their uniform, kind of like the Seahawks, just for the coloring. I can just envision a way to kind of, you know, get the piping down and everything like that uh, with proper accent colors. It'd be, you know, be bold, but it'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. All I would add to that is that uh, one of the teams that I would have said should not do it by any means would be the Cardinals, except they've been doing it for years. So what do you know? The NFL all-black trend just continues to take more, more bodies. Moving on to Thursday night football news. Start Ravens at Buccaneers. Not start because it's the only game there, but let's start with the home team Buccaneers. Got one interesting story. Uh, some footage came out in the tunnel of Buccaneers wide receiver Mike Evans having a bit of an exchange with a line judge and an official. Uh, There was some potential uh, implication of maybe he gave up an autograph. Maybe he had a little, you know, memorabilia thing. Referees Association strictly prohibits that exchange between referees and players. After investigation turns out, no. Referee was just looking for a new golf pro, getting some lessons to work on his swing. You buy it, Jackson? 
I do, and let's let's get it right here. Mike Evans is the one who's being referred to a golf instructor. Mike Evans is getting out there on the links, getting his swing on. Full disclosure here, Kale. You see how I'm dressed. Literally, as soon as we hang up on this call, I am going to the golf course, which is something that I need to do every once in a while and have not for weeks. So how could I possibly sit here and say Mike Evans shouldn't be doing this? I mean, this is this is good stuff, Mike. Get the swing right. Let that handicap drop. Listen, I'm opposed to it if only because probably should be letting other things not drop <laughs> like passes with no defenders within 10 yards of him. This Bucks team is three and four, and they need a, you know. Mike, you live in Tampa Bay. Wait a month. Wait a month. It's always going to be golf season. You're not on any sort of time crunch here. Hey, some some of these guys have waiting lists. You know, Mike Evans, definitely a big name, but you never know if he needs to get in now so he can start his lessons in four to eight weeks. You know, these are these are difficult things to plan. Speaking of Buccaneers players, there's a lot of them out <laughs> against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore or uh, Buccaneers have already released a uh, list of four starters. We're going to be missing starting left guard Luke Gadecki, starting defensive back Antoine Winfield Jr., wide receiver Russell Gage, starting quarterback Carlton Davis, quarterback Sean Murphy Bunting, and as well as current holdover who's dealing with a neck injury, tight end Cameron Brait. In addition, wide receiver Julio Jones is going to be a game time decision tomorrow, and defensive lineman Akeem Hicks who had finally returned to practice after suffering an injury in week two, is listed as doubtful. Jackson, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been the any given Sunday losing team of the week two weeks in a row. They're not going to break that skid with a current roster like this, or a current injury report like this, rather, because half their roster is currently on it. Wow. Ah. Uh... Yeah, this is this is a team that pretty much can't go more down from here except they can cuz they don't they still play a first place schedule the rest of the way and this is I, I think a Thursday night matchup against Lamar is brutal to prepare for uh not having the full week to kind of adjust your defense uh for all the extra threat he poses uh in in the run game so this is a really tough spot for them. Fun fun fact, if the Buccaneers lose this game and the Panthers beat the Falcons on Sunday, the Panthers will have sole possession of first place in the NFC South at 3-5. and five, A mess of a division, mostly because the Bucs have been a mess of a team the past four weeks. Uh, I don't know how they can fix it. Maybe Tom Brady needs to... Uh, make a call, Ron DeSantis, and get things fixed somehow. Maybe change the rules up a little bit on the competition committee. But other than that, it's uh, it's looking rough. Is that right, Jackson? The Falcons are three and four. Would that? Yeah. So if the, if the Panthers beat them, then the Panthers. Well, they play the Falcons. Yeah. Oh, did not realize that. They do. Good to know. Moving on to the Baltimore Ravens. Bit of a switch up in injury news. Sean Bateman is added to the injury report with a lingering foot injury. Did not miss practice Tuesday, but missed time weeks five and six with the same 
he injured. did miss practice Tuesday. He did not practice on Tuesday. Did not practice Tuesday. I am misreading my notes. It's been a long day, Jackson. <laughs> However, Ty's Bowser, linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, could potentially be returning. Harbaugh says it's up in the air. He did return to practice. He did return to practice on October 12th, along with rookie David Ajabo. Bowser, of course, suffered an Achilles injury in the 2021 season finale against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, you're sacrificing uh, one of the really three offensive weapons that you have in the passing game for a potential major add for a Ravens defense that could use some help in the run game, Jackson. Man, two teams that really just need uh, <laughs> they need they need to turn the injury sliders off is what they need. Both of them. Uh, they need the, a sage cleansing. They need some ooh. sort of like just outsourcing of medicinal help. Maybe you know, so, just a prayer circle, uh, a a nice something to try. Clearly, modern medicine has not worked for either of these teams this season. Do they need TB12 is the question that we maybe <laughs> should be asking. Get um, that liability up. Yeah. One other thing I just wanted to bring up, have we heard anything about Deshaun Jackson? Is he imminently going to play for the Ravens? Is that this week? Is that next week? I, he just sat on the sidelines and looked really cool last week in a Ravens jacket and snapback, uh, but I haven't. I looked all over Twitter and uh, NFL news websites and could not find a single thing about whether or not he was playing anytime soon. I personally haven't seen anything yet beyond just the fact that he signed him. Uh, I keep pretty decent tabs on Baltimore Ravens beat reporters as I do around the rest of the league. Nothing yet on Jackson. It'll be interesting to see when he plays because just at this point, they could use any sort of deep help they can get. For real? Especially with the absence of Rashad Bateman, who had so much success streaking downfield through the first three games of the season. Well, that about does it for this week in Football Outsiders' FO News Show. Jackson, Just I'm, about, Caleb, before we get off, do you want to tell them where they can win some money this week, potentially? Jackson, you read my mind. Play Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Even when NFL best ball season is over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. Try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. Or, Jackson, you can try their Pick'em games, which you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop bets currently isn't available. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app from your app store today. And remember, Jackson, you can use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. For Jackson's Jackson underdog play of the week, DJ Moore, Falcons defense, awful. Do it. You can hear you can hear the underdogs just barking in the background, ready to play Battle Royale. But that'll do it for us today at the FO News Show. For Jackson, I'm Kale. We'll see you guys next week. 
at 1 p.m. Wednesday, as always. Peace.